0: Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas
1: and I'm Oz Arshad and we are both writer directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap.
0: Hello everyone, how you doing? Marcus here, and welcome back to the Director's Take podcast. So it's been a fun week, Annette's episode has gone down really well. I've listened to it so many times, I think it's brilliant. For me personally, as I said in the last intros, that I'm going for a slow period, as is Oz, and so to listen to this, an episode we recorded like at the beginning of this year, to listen to it again and almost get the inspiration during the slow period that anything can happen at any time has been really, really um, timely, so it's really, really cool. And hopefully you've all gained a lot from it as well. I use this analogy all the time. I make peace with the fact that I'm going to end up wherever I'm going to end up in the industry. And I see it as in like the current, I'm lying on top of the waves. And I can either try and fight the current and swim against it and go where I think I need to be. But actually, it's going to take me wherever I'm supposed to be. And so it's easier to lie on top of the waves. But that shouldn't stop me from screaming at the waves and calling them nonsensical as they do so, is where I am. Anyway, it was funny. I was going off on Twitter about how the the industry only caters to certain people, which we all know, because there needs to be some wider practices changing in terms of talent development and in the way that people are are given their opportunities. Because at the minute, it's it's being done in the same way. There's been a push for diversity, blah, 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 and a push for giving opportunities. But it's not enough. And it's not actual change. It's just... It's schemes and schemes and schemes, and it's not a unified response to an actual issue. They're not actually changing anything. It's just throwing plasters at a problem. Um, and it was funny. I was going off on Twitter about it, and then lo and behold, my picture ended up not just me. It's with uh, the UK, the Disney UK Imagine uh, picture ended up being used as the the main picture on the BFI Skills Review, uh, talking about a sustainable future in the industry, which was which was really funny. There's nothing wrong with it. I signed up to do the picture. Um, I signed up to do the scheme. It's brilliant. I had a great time. They, they've been treating us really well. But it was it was almost like the universe just telling me to be quiet. Yeah. Outside of that, there's a there's been a really interesting report from through the Creative Diversity Network, uh, where they talk about precisely that about like the lack of opportunities uh, for directors from underrepresented backgrounds. And that's not specifically what this podcast is. It's it's literally for directors. Full stop. It's it's not a blanket one size fits all thing like. Every director has their own different challenges based on certain systemic factors um, and this plays into that and it shows that actually things have been going backwards in the industry over the last six or seven years. So uh, there's a really interesting review on that if you go check out Directors UK. um, We might even put the link to that in the description if you want to check out the report. Um, and the good thing about these reports and reviews is that it means that problems are being acknowledged, and now it's up to the industry to unify and to fix these problems. So yeah, fingers crossed. Over the next few years, change can begin to happen, and hopefully, the opportunities which are deserved will will go to the people that deserve it. Beyond that, it's been I won't say a slow week. We're always doing podcast stuff, which is great. Always keeps us busy, um, and gives us like an anchor for the week. Oz has been doing Bill's work. He has a family and a, a mortgage and things. He's also been execing on a on a short. Uh, I actually went on to, I did a set visit yesterday, which was good fun, um, on a, a Disney Plus show. So I got to go there and watch, it, uh, watch watch that play out for the afternoon and speak to the producers and things. So it was all good fun. And yeah, here we are. This is it. So this week we've got an amazing episode, as you all know. It's what we do by now. We've got a writer called Helen Black. So if you listen to our episodes with Lewis Arnold, one of the shows which has done the, the most, like has done the best for him is called Time. Uh, with Sean Bean and Stephen Graham. Season two of Time has just come out, which you can watch on iPlayer. Um, and it's its three episodes long, and it, whereas the first one was set in a men's prison, this one is set in a women's prison. Um, and obviously they have unique challenges to that, and it's a different dynamic and um, different environment and things. So it's a really interesting sort of study of of that and the criminal justice system in the UK. There's some really powerful stuff and it stars Jodie Whittaker, Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, uh, I think Siobhan Finneran as well. Really worth checking out. This will be a spoiler-filled conversation, so if you do wanna get the most from this chat, then I would suggest watching that, it's free episodes, but outside of that, if you're not gonna watch it, there's nuggets in here which you can can glean about how the industry operates, how you work with writers and things, so uh, yeah. It's a very, very good one. Very blessed to have had the chat and that Helen took the time out to speak to us and, and was very generous with her knowledge and her journey. So yeah, I'm just gonna stop rambling. Enjoy. Welcome to the Director's Tate podcast. Today we've got a wonderful guest as ever. So Helen Black was born and raised in Pontefract in West Yorkshire. And against everyone's advice, she studied law at the University of Hull, becoming a solicitor for 10 years. And I saw that you worked and lived in Luton for a time. Is that right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Love
0: that, yeah. I I also spent a bit of time there. It was a four year sentence at University of Bedfordshire. Oh, did you? (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, it was a a simpler time and then it was uh, your exposure to lots of people's stories through your time as a solicitor that inspired you to write yourself and you penned the novel damaged goods a story about a young person accused of murder who is physically unable to defend themselves you then went on to to write another 10 crime novels, which is insane. Um, and then the latest one was called Hard As Nails, which was published in December, 2020. And you've been transitioning into writing for screen over the last seven years or so, it looks like. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, is it seven? God, that doesn't time go quick. I thought I was gonna say five, but if you say it's seven,
0: it's <laughs> probably seven. Well, yeah, so you won the, the Kudos North Writers Award in 2017. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. Well, internet yeah uh, <laughs> a competition running in conjunction with bbc writers room and you've been on a roll recently earning writing credits on shows such as clink death in paradise the bafta nominated single drama life and death in the warehouse grant chester and then most recently you wrote all three episodes of the second season of bbc's time alongside jimmy mcgovern which stars jodie whitaker tamara lawrence siobhan Finneran, and bella ramsey so we're extremely excited to have you here welcome to the podcast Helen Black.
2: Thank you very much.
0: That's right hopefully that was all factual.
2: I mean it's like it's been I've been writing a long time do you know what I mean so it's a it's just like a long CV.
0: (laughs) Yeah no I I was like super impressed by like like you just must have just been kind of at it constantly since doing the first novel.
2: Yeah pretty much
0: yeah. Well I guess to jump straight into the questions we we talked a bit about your background but it'd be good to get a sense of where your fascination with writing came from and did you always want to be a lawyer or solicitor and Uh, And you just found writing later, or did you have early dreams of being a writer that you didn't pursue?
2: I'm from a very working class background, and uh, my dad was a minor, so he was on strike from 84 to 85. And that was about the time when I think I was in lower sixth. And you're thinking about what you might study at university. And all I was concentrating on is I'm not going to be in a situation where my entire industry can be brought to its knees by a you know, a vicious government. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna find myself a career whereby I'll always have to be able to have some money in my pocket. So I decided to become a lawyer. Um whether whether that's true anymore with the state of like public financing of <laughs> lawyers, I don't know. But at the time it, it kind of made sense to me. So I went off to become a lawyer. I wouldn't say like I had a burning ambition or like being a justice fighter or whatever. I just literally wanted a solid career.
1: And where was it that you did that? Because obviously, you know Yorkshire lass. So where did you do that?
2: I went to Hull because, again, this is hilarious. I applied to Hull because Philip Larkin was the Poet Laureate, and he was the writer in residence. And I had great visions of like wandering around with Philip Larkin. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he died the year I got there. But I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have had anything to say to me anyway. <laughs> I'm
0: sure, it's related Yeah.
2: But you know, like you have like ridiculous notions when you're 16. <laughs> Yeah. So like I arrived at Hull, which is a bit of a concrete jungle, and not quite the sort of uh, bastion of poetry that I thought it might be. <laughs>
0: yeah. Isn't it the city of culture now? Is, is yeah. that, Or yeah. wasn't it? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. But you know there what? You I had go. I had a really Hello, I had a really good time because I'm not from a background where anybody's ever been to university before at all. Mm. So I didn't know what to expect, but I had a really good time while I was there.
1: Is that where you practiced practice law? Did
2: you stay in Hull? I had a year off. Um, uh, and then I went, I went and started working in London, Peckham, <laughs> got a job in Peckham. I saw that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like good fun.
2: <laughs> it was, it was really fun actually. I mean, public, uh, you know, like legal aid as it was called then public funding as it is now was not brilliant, but better than it is now. And so, you know, you could make a living but you'd have to really pile your cases high. And I just would spend all my time, like, dashing around to Camberwell Youth Court or a bit Brixton Nick. Or... Yeah, it was a really good time and a really good training, really good training.
0: Yeah. And is it from, I think you said, I think on your, like, bio and one of them online, it was something about, like, you had kids that followed you around or something like this. And and it was, you got exposure to such a wide array of stories and probably injustices and all sorts, so... um what what was it about that which kind of made you start to write fiction?
2: Because
0: um, it was more in your time in Luton, I think, I saw you started writing fiction. Was There was a particular story which affected you, I believe.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 suppo- I, I, I suppose so. But what really kicked me off writing was I had children and I had twins and, and I was just in the house more than... I was a proper party girl, do you know what I mean? I was just out and about. I had a really busy job. You'd often be working nights, and when I wasn't working, I was out and about with my friends—big, a dance, love a rave. But like, once you have kids, you just suddenly housebound. It's like almost like being disabled. Um, so I was like, this is before like the, you know the internet. I think we had a dial-up internet, um, so you couldn't just get like lost in like looking at Twitter. Do you know what I mean? So I, th- I thought, Do you know what? I'd always loved reading. Really loved reading, so I thought, do you know what? I'll, I'll try and write a book, and that's like how I started writing "Damaged Goods." And also because when you're a lawyer, people constantly ask you, "Oh, what what would you do if you thought your client was guilty?" And I'd like laugh to myself, and think, "I know at least half of them are guilty, never mind, I suspect." <laughs> <laughs> but but I could see it was a question that people were fascinated by, and so mm. and so that was something I thought I can explore that. And people will be interested to read about a lawyer that's wrestling with that dilemma. Because I suppose that's 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 all drama, fiction, anything is, it's just a dilemma, isn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 a conflict. Did you kind of have any sort of apprehension about starting writing at all? Or did you just not overthink it, you just did it?
2: I just did it because it was just for a bit of fun. Like I didn't, I didn't give up. I didn't give up being a lawyer. I, you know, I was still in court every day. And then I got these bloody twins. <laughs> and so I didn't have a fat lot of time, so I was just writing it in little. You know, like I'd be on the lunch break and I'd like. I think I was handwriting a lot of it and then coming home and typing it up. And it took a long time that book. It took me about eighteen months. Uh, uh, and I joined a little writers group, a local writers group. Uh, again, there weren't online writers groups then, or not that I knew about. This was—we just actually went round each other's houses and we'd read our latest little bit that we'd we'd written. Oh, wow! And
0: everybody interacting w- with people in person It's
2: amazing. And they were, <laughs> and they were all like, "You, sh- you, sh- you should send this book off. It's really good." And I was like, "Oh, don't be ridiculous." Um, but then I got like. It used to be called the Writers' Yearbook, and it used to be like a big physical book, and it had all the agents in there. So I just started at A and just literally started emailing people saying, uh, "I've written this book. Do you want? Do you want to have a look at it?" And uh, my agency's ampersand, so I didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's pretty handy, then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's a good note for for the listeners um, who might be apprehensive about just reaching out to people cold. Is that like, there's always someone on the other end of the line, isn't there, basically?
2: Yeah, novel novel agents are much more responsive than TV agents in terms of the publishing industry requires debut novelists all the time. So every book agent will be on the lookout for a debut novelist in a, in a way that TV and film agents are not really on the lookout for debut screenwriters. Um, so it going got to stand a much better chance if you're writing books than if you're trying to write tele or
0: films. Also, good note.
2: <laughs> yeah, also a lot. Also, a lot of them are, are terrible, you know. So, like, would, I was absolutely convinced that the slush pile at my agents was going to be full of absolute diamonds that he won't get. He won't get into. So, I'd, I convinced the Guardian to let me write an article about how I found a diamond in a slush pile. So off I went to read the slush pile. Absolute pile of slush. Is what? I mean, some of it was just like illiterate. So I was like, "Oh, oh wow. okay, fair enough." The slush pile is not full of absolute diamonds. So I had to say to the Guardian, "I don't think there's a story <laughs> <laughs> in."
0: With, with all that, Helen, um, at what point? Like, how many books did you write before you started to think about screenwriting? Like, where did that come from, or was it like once you got published, it was then like, "Oh, I think I could." do a bit of uh, TV and film as well.
2: I was on quite a, a rolling contract with my book, so I was quite busy, and I never thought about writing TV. Occasionally, one of my books would get optioned. In the beginning, I'd be all like, oh, my God, it's going to get made into a Hollywood film, and then as years go on, you realise it's just the secondary income, actually. Uh, <laughs> nothing's ever going to happen. But then um, my kids went to university, so time had rolled on, uh, and they... And they gone and I just thought again a bit like the first novel I thought you know what I'll write a script for a bit of fun and then I sent it to that competition but no I'd never really
0: thought about oh so that was it you wrote it specifically for that that tv competition
2: no I wrote it for a bit of fun and somebody just told me about that competition and said send it into that competition and it was on BBC Writers' Room, and it's like a, an online form. And one of the boxes was like to talk about your TV credits. Well, obviously, I didn't have any, <laughs> so I just left it blank.
0: And it was thought you must have made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I yeah, it. Yeah, obviously,
2: yeah. I had no TV credits, so I couldn't lie, could I? And said I'd been writing for EastEnders for ten years. So I just, I just left it blank. Don't do that, kids. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not. If you, if you, if you don't. You know if you don't fulfill the criteria, you probably shouldn't apply, but
0: no, but it worked out, and yeah to be honest, the same thing happened to me like when I was applying for short funding, which when we had Film Hub North on, they said that they I would have been now I would have actively been just kind of thrown away, but then for whatever reason, I applied um to to film London funding, um, and I didn't have a team or anything and in all of the supporting materials that have sent word documents of me apologizing uh, <laughs> for not having all of the stuff together or a team. Because I'd moved to London, I didn't know anyone, so that's all I could do. Uh, but I got shortlisted and it was from that that I met a producer that I worked with. And, uh, and from being in the rooms off the back of that gave me the confidence to then be like, all right, I'm, I'm as good as anyone here, so I can do this as well. In, in everyone's story, there's always a place where they sort of like take chances.
2: Don't don't lie, but, <laughs> but also maybe you know what I mean. If you're not, don't fulfil the criteria. Like you couldn't just make up the names of some producers, could you? Go, oh, I've worked with you know Nicola Schindler. Yeah. But like, like, because you're going to get found out. But on the other hand, if you haven't got something, it might be worth explaining what you have got that that, that could potentially be an alternative to it.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing to lose and a lot to gain. Because ultimately, I think what, what got me onto that was the the actual work itself. And it, I assume it's a similar case in your yeah in your scenario is like it was the work which they saw. And that was they must have been impressed enough to have brought you on.
2: Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I think there was a little bit where you had to attach a bio so I could put like, I've written 10 books. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. everybody's like, well, she can actually write. It's not a fluke, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's massive. That's amazing. And what, what did that scheme do for you?
2: So Pudos is quite a big TV production company and they were setting up the Northern Hub. Uh, and, and so they wanted a few writers to, to kick it off with. So I had sort of a development deal as part of that that never went anywhere, but it was quite an interesting um, process. Mm. But the most important thing about it was I got a TV agent. So like I basically wrote to a load of TV agents and said, I didn't know if I'm honest, how hard it is to get a TV agent. I assumed it'd just be like a book agent. So I just sent a load of emails going, hello, (laughs) I've been shortlisted for this amazing award. Do you want to read my script? Uh, And the agent said, yeah, all right then. Um, So I got a few offers, but as as soon as I met my current agent, I just knew she was the one for me because she understood that I had no connections at all in TV and I had no idea how anything worked and she wasn't she wasn't going to expect me to you know when people say oh you've got to go out there and sell yourself a network she wasn't going to expect me to do that because I just would have had no idea how to do that i needed her to do that for me
0: how far down the list did you get
2: i didn't go a to z on that one i just went recommendations
0: okay yeah, yeah.
2: i just like asked people to recommend or sometimes what i did was because uh, by by then, you know, Twitter had been invented. Go on like writers that are liked and go on their bio and find out who their agent was.
0: And what was the process like of, of getting the agent? Like how did you, what was it about your agent which made you think, okay, that's the person to represent me?
2: Small list and everybody's working as opposed mm. to some of the bigger agencies where, if you look, on, they've got bloody thousands of writers, but when you look where their last credit is, it's like, like, well, they're obviously not writing, are they? So whereas my agent was like, I've got a small list, but everybody's like, there's, you know, she, she's not representing any... She's not representing, like, Russell T. Davis, but we're all solidly working, and that mm. re- really appealed to me. She's just really well-respected, so, like, even though it's a small agency, she'll get me meetings with, like, any producer at all. Mm. So, like... The very first meeting I had was uh, with Red, who at the time Nicola Schindler was running. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, we're a small agency, you can only go and see small producers. I was just suddenly like, oh, would you like to go and see so and so? Would you like to go and see Sister Productions, who just set up, you know? The day before the split was coming out, I had a meeting with them. It was all like really, really big production companies and some small ones as well, a real cross section. Uh, so that's what I basically did for about six months. I just like military operation of going to meet producers. But like, she was really clear to me that when you're in there, it's up to you. You've got to really convince people that they want a relationship with you. Because, you know, well, my spec wasn't even for sale because it was bound up in the Kudos North thing. So I didn't have, I didn't have anything to sell. So she was like, just get in there and start suggesting ideas. Uh, uh, and so that's what I started doing. I started going in there and saying... What if I wrote a legal show? What if I wrote a this? What if I wrote a that? Some people were like, well, yeah, but come back when you get a better idea. And then some people were like, no, no, we like that idea. We'll option that idea. And then I met a a producer uh, for an interview because she got um, some money from the BBC to put a writer's room together. It wasn't a green lit show, so it was a bit unusual, but she had some money to put seven writers in a room for, uh, I think we were there about a month. And I got that job. And I was so junior, everybody else had got credit, so I felt like a right twat, do you know what I mean? Like, But mm. like, and then at the end of that month, the BBC commissioned a pilot and asked me to co-write it with Courtier Newland. I don't know if you had come across Courtier. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He wrote, yeah. Sm- he, he wrote uh, yeah, yeah, Small yeah. Axe. Yeah, Small Axe. So yeah.
2: like, so me and Cortier got to know each other really well because like with this group, the seven, and suddenly there were just the two of us being asked to work together. Uh, but that was amazing because he he knew what he was doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an incredible opportunity, though. Um, what was what was that show?
2: It never got made. Obviously, oh, yeah. obviously, okay. um, yeah. But it was a brilliant opportunity because a I saw in that month in that room how proper writers did it. TV writers did mm. it. And I got to see Courtier at work. He's very thoughtful. Whereas I'm all like, Mm. what about this, 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 this? And Courtier's like, very thoughtful. (laughs) Like with chalk and cheese, but it worked really well. Uh, And then, of course, by writing that pilot for the BBC, you suddenly know the commissioners. You're suddenly Mm. going in to meet the head of drama. So at least they know who you are. So that was Mm. real. So that happened in the space of a few months. So that was amazing even though it didn't get made which is a real shame because it's a brilliant pilot it had a trickle down effect if you know what I mean of in fact it's one of the reasons I got time because it's the same commissioner and she remembered me amazing Mm. yeah like years later
1: just to go back a second Helen so the spec that you the tv spec that you did to get you the agent and get people reading your work what was that what genre was it was it in did you strategically have it similar to your novel so that you could show that this is me and this is the type of writer I am. What was it?
2: Basically, when I wrote that first pilot, I didn't have much time. I'd just handed in a novel and I was I was waiting for my notes to come back on it. Um, so I knew I'd just have like a few weeks. So I just nicked one of the storylines out of one of my books. It's like the backstory. And it's ridiculous. It's set in 1989 in Wakefield, in the rave culture. It's right. just about a young girl in care who goes out dancing and has a lot of drugs and, t- and a lot of sex. It's not and it, it it's only a pilot, it wasn't part of the longer idea at all. But I think what it is is it's very voicey, if you know what I mean. Like I don't think anyone else could have ever written it other than me. Mm. And so so it stands really well as that. That's the spec that got me a bazillion meetings and interviews because I think people read it and they think that might be a very difficult TV show to make, but it introduces me to who this writer is. Mm. What she believes in, what she thinks about things. I'm very different. It's very well yes, very working class voice in a way that ninety-nine percent of scripts are not. And it's not it's not like a work because I'm a novelist as well. It's quite novelistic, you know, be able quite descriptive. So it's probably and there's loads of unfilmable things in there. And I'm like the worst for just putting something in that like, oh, you know, it smells like TCP. <laughs> yeah, how are we gonna film that, Helen? But I think at that stage, at the early stage, no one cares. Do you know what I mean? They just mm. want to read something nice. Funnily enough, I rejigged that spec recently into a 30-minute sort of in-my-skin type show. It got taken into development by the BBC on the spot, which just goes Amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't have done that six years ago. I wouldn't have had the
0: skills. I think a lot of what you're saying then is about, like, nothing is wasted as well. Um... So like with being in that writer's room, even though it might've been like a bit of a, a kicker to be like, oh, it's not gonna get made. Like now looking back, like that same commissioner has remembered you and now it's kind of taken to where you are. And same with, with that uh, thing you wrote there, um, you can rejig it and now it's kind of, it's moving somewhere else later down the line as a new uh, piece of work. So um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How like nothing is wasted and you can't really predict how things are gonna play out even if it's not.
2: It also shows to, you know, have good relationships with people and work really hard. I think it's really hard, but you have to approach every single piece of work like it is going to get made and it's going to be the most kick-ass fucking brilliant show or film ever, even though there's that part of you thinking, this is never getting made. It's never getting made. But, like... It might lead to something or somebody's ready or something, um, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to keep that energy up, isn't it? And that positivity, because it feels like you're being crushed by rejection. I mean, I always have a joke and say there's one particular channel who's got a bin with my name on it, because I honestly pitch them so many things and they'd go, oh, we love Helena, we love her writing. No. No, 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 and it felt like weekly. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh my god, how embarrassing! It's another no. Uh, It's
0: particularly painful, though, isn't it? With with like writing and directing work Uh, to get to get that rejection because you put so much work in for that rejection. Whereas I think there's lots of rejection in other forms, but there's probably less work that goes into that rejection. If that makes sense, yeah.
2: It's the work and it's the emotion, isn't it? And it's the fact that people say, oh, it's not you. But of course it's you. It's not good writing if it's not you. So of course you're a part of it. And then for somebody to go, well, and it's just the sort of the way they dismiss it, isn't it? With like a flick of the wrist, you know, like... It's just not. It's just not very. You know. It's just not exciting enough, or whatever. You know. Oh, sorry. My life's not dramatic enough for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just to take a bit of a moment on that, like about rejection and about like you know, you staying resilient. How did you just keep keep going and staying on staying on the horse and, and motivating yourself? Did you need small wins to help you?
2: Hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think. I was getting, although I tend to focus on all the rejection because I do like people to, I hate the idea that people think you're like an overnight success. I mean, if they knew how much material I've cycled through, like a lifetime's worth of of material. But I think because I was getting lots of nice, like, you know, like, oh, I'm in a writer's room. Well, that, oh, now I've been asked to do the pilot. And then um, a, a producer called Justin Potter asked me to do an episode on a, a, a just Channel Five prison show. Oh, I've been asked to do, and I was I was getting lots and lots of things optioned as well, so I was make, making a fair bit of money. I wasn't struggling, um, but it wasn't getting me where I wanted to be ultimately. But I look back now, I think because I, I've just got my own show, Greenlit, and I just realised now I was not fucking ready at all. Mm. So I thank the Lord in a way for some of those rejections because I'm really enjoying it now, whereas. I just don't think I'd have been able to get them six hours of telly together. In my mind, I thought I was completely ready because I'd written all these books, but I can see now how hard it is. And with budget constraints and production issues and schedules and notes from this person, this person, this person, and this person, I don't know if I'd have been able to pull it off. Uh, And, you know, I keep my sanity. Um, Whereas now I feel really confident, actually, that I can do it. I know that your relationship with producers is really solid. You've you've taken time to build a proper relationship with them, where they know you really well and you know them really well. So there's a an exchange of creativity and vulnerability and uh, and just day to day chit chat. That means that when you are deep in the weeds of something difficult, that you've got something that you can go. You you know you can trust them basically, and they can trust you, and it, so it'll be okay. But those sorts of relationships are hard to find. You have to kiss a lot of frogs, uh, and some of them break down, and that's really heartbreaking because you think, God, I really thought this producer liked me, or I liked them, and then it's just all goes to shit. But then there are those that I'm working with some new producers, but I'm also working with producers that I've just been with from day one, and I'll always work with them because. It's just brilliant, you know.
0: Um, and, and before we, we dig into your TV career, I'm intrigued to know um, what was the point where you made the leap to make writing your full-time job? Like, at what point was that, that transition in? Uh, yeah, how did that happen?
2: That took a while because I liked being a lawyer and it felt very secure. I'd worked really hard to become a lawyer and everybody was dead proud of me because they only like, like I said, the only one in my family went to uni or did any sort of job like that. So everybody was really proud. Um, but when the first novel got picked up, they asked for a three-book deal, and they wanted it a series. So oh, I was like, I, can't, I just can't. Do, you know, then they wanted the next book in a year, um, and I was like, I just really can't do it. Uh, and it was my husband really He said to me, Why don't you take a sabbatical from your job? You it'll still be there when you get back. Just finish this next book. So I did that. But like I, in my mind, I was I was a lawyer on sabbatical, not a writer. Uh, but then I think by the time I got to book five and I'd not gone back to being a lawyer, I think I got to put it on a form for immigration in America, and I put writer, and that's first time I'd ever like, oh, I'm a, I'm a writer, and I remember, you know, like don't know if you've ever been to New York, but immigration's really hard there. They ask you, and he said to me, oh, you're a writer, and I was like. Oh yeah, I am, aren't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, lie me.
0: Are you sure? Yeah,
2: that—that yeah. that is me. What I do for a living now. I'm not a lawyer anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. It took a while to get to, and constantly, I think I was always in that. Well, you know, and if it don't work out, and if this is the last book, I'll just go back to being a lawyer.
0: So you've literally just been like since that first book, you've been
2: full-time a writer, writer, essentially. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's crazy, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've been a writer for a lot longer than I've been a lawyer, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, is it is it novels which has kind of like served you and then uh have you still been right you've still been writing novels as your main thing whilst building up the TV and then TV is kind of taking over now I believe
2: as I say I'd, I'd, I'd handed in a book and so I had to do my notes so I was still doing that and then I think I got a contract for one more um so I I, I finished that but then I was just so busy with TV work I sort of had to you can't do everything, can you? You know, I'm all I'm, I'm stretched so thin uh, and TV pays so much better as well. I mean, sorry to be crass about money, but we've all got to live, right? It's um, important, yeah. And I really enjoy the collaboration after sort of all those years of just being me, just doing those novels. It's just really nice to have all the collaboration and all the meetings and all the all the talk that goes on with TV that doesn't happen at all with novels. I really enjoy that. It's much more sociable.
0: What was your what was your first break in TV? What you said like there was that one show which didn't get uh, commissioned in the end, but what was the first uh, commissioned episode that you kind of saw on TV which you'd written?
2: It was a Channel Five prison drama called Clink, which was made for two pound fifty in a Twix, uh, and uh, <laughs> and the producer had got a ten episode uh, green light from Channel Five uh, um, off. Off, not a lot. She's brilliant at. She's very good at that, and the and so we had a big team of us. We very quickly had to put some sort of semblance of a show together. But I tell you what, she's good. She's a good picker of writers because one of the other writers who's also got his first commission on that is Tony Schumacher, who wrote the responder. So like mm. we were, we. Were, she picked a pretty good team. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but stop the vision. But you know. There wasn't enough money, there wasn't enough time, there wasn't enough experience. So it, it is what it is, that show. But we all had a lot of fun, I think. Well, the writers had a lot of fun. I don't know if the producers had a lot of fun because they would have had tried to put it together for no money. But we, we had a ball, honestly. It was one of those hilarious things that it was, it was constantly changing. Like there was a, the prison governor was in a coma which was why the new prison and governor came in. But then an actress, sort of that like bit Liverpool royalty, agreed to be the governor that was a coma, so we all got the note to get her out of the coma really quickly and give her a load of scenes. <laughs> but then that actress decided no, so she was like back in again. <laughs> but actually, you know what? Even high-end telly is a little bit like that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you'll suddenly, some somebody will swoop in and suddenly a particular part or something has to change or a particular location has to change. I think everybody imagines that if you're on a really high budget show, that, um, you know, you just do, do whatever you like and there's no interference. But in my experience, there's still stuff still constantly happens that's out of people's control. That means the show has to Continually change and basically, I think every show is just a journey. Do you know what I mean? It's like that—that mm, well, mm. that thing that you sell at the beginning. And I don't know if it's the same in films, but that thing that you sell in the beginning just—you know—it evolves. Evolves. That's a, yeah. yeah, yeah. Evolves. <laughs> That's
0: the political way of saying it. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and I think you're yeah, either a person who rolls with that and quite enjoys that, or mm. and still thinks actually, well, we're still making something that I like, or 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 you're somebody who hates that. In which case. You must have a miserable time in T V. You know, you spoke about
1: like having ideas and you you either you, know, you, you you've gone through a copious amount of you know you said a lifetime of work that you've gone through. So something me and Marcus talk about is our ideas are our currency. Do you regularly like have time to um generate ideas and stay fresh?
2: Yeah, in terms of ideas, um I would say for the first three years I was putting time aside daily to just do i wasn't writing any scripts on spec but i was writing pictures for tv show ideas constantly and constantly thinking about it constantly reading books watching tv listening to music just and i'm constantly saying this to people who I say like how do you get into tv well you're not gonna do it with one or two brilliant ideas well you might do if you're a genius like tony you might get the responder away do you know what i mean but most people are going to cycle through a whole load of stuff. So don't worry about it and just, just keep trying to come up with new, fresh. Because when you go to see a different producer, if six or seven have already turned down that thing that you were trying to pitch, maybe try something different. But also I have a terrible attention span. So I find it really like... Oh God, I've just thought of an amazing thought barter. And I am now at the point though when I'm having to rein it in, my agent's like, absolutely no more new ideas. None. Your slate is ridiculous. And also you don't want to get stressed. You know what I mean? You're in production you're in production on things. So you've got to prioritize that. But I don't know about you, I can't help it. I'll just I'll just be like walking the dog and I'll think, oh, body swap only it's a cop and his client, you know, or solicitor or something. And I'm like, absolute genius. Or oh, absolute classic with me is I'll be having a drink and I think I've world's best show ever. And I wake up the next morning, I think, yeah, it's just breaking bad, only it's a woman.
0: <laughs> yeah. And she's drunk. <laughs> yeah. think so that one's been done before, Ellen.
2: Yeah. But I don't I mean, and it's the same when you when you're working on a TV show though. I mean, you're gonna need a lot of ideas like one idea is not going to see you through six hours of tv and a lot of your ideas are going to get chucked out or if you're in a writer's room on someone else's show boy your currency is ideas you are being paid you ain't being paid to sit there and drink the coffee you're being paid to to serve the show basically so you would better have constant ideas and when i was working with jimmy on time oh my days like Endlessly pitching ideas for stories for the for the prisoners. Jimmy's like Jimmy, just be like, no, 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 and it, it, we're like, oh my god, how many more?
1: Just keep digging, digging, digging,
2: dig, dig in. Come, come and, and and you know, and come to the next day armed with a few ideas. It doesn't matter if they're rubbish. Sometimes it's just to get everybody in the room talking, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you might go, well, that's shit, but. I can see how that little tiny bit of it might work.
0: Um, it would be good to talk about how writers' rooms actually run, actually. Like, just what's what's your experience of them? Um, what do they look like? Because there might be a section of our audience who, who have just had no exposure to them whatsoever and it might be a scary, daunting thing. They're kind of becoming more common now, though, aren't they, over here?
2: Yeah, but I don't think we'll ever be in a situation where you sit in a writer's room regularly for, like, six months because it's just not the money. So, um, and I think a lot of writers wouldn't like the idea that they've got kind of an office job for six months. We're very freelance working across lots of projects. I think they would struggle to get writers of a certain caliber to agree to do. I think you'd get young writers or new writers all would agree to do it. I couldn't wait to do my first one. But like, I couldn't do one now, like while I'm writing my own show, I couldn't be on someone else. I couldn't be in a room for six months on someone else's show. But I think on Succession, I heard that they did allow people time off to do their own projects, which I think you would have to do because otherwise you wouldn't get the caliber of people. But say you do get given a chance to be in a, but like, I mean, most shows have a short room where you all sit there and, and it might not be consecutive days. So like on time, we didn't do consecutive days. But like I might go back and forward to Liverpool one day a week or one day a fortnight over month, over months, months, months. So uh, that's kind of like, I think they're all, they're all very different. It depends on your showrunner. It depends on your lead writer and how they want to run a room. So when I did that one with Courtier, uh, the show is called Gimme Shelter. The lead writer, um, original lead, lead writer uh, worked in an advertising space and so he had amazing whiteboards everywhere. and He was drawing pictures and all that sort of thing. When I did Joan, Anna Simon, uh, who's the showrunner on that, she has whiteboards, but it's very methodical. So she has like episode one, episode two, episode three. And so you're working across the relationships between the characters across the series. Jimmy won't do a whiteboard to say this. He doesn't even have a paper and pen. Do you know? What I mean? You just kind of sit there in a little room and just talk. So it's kind of up to you. In common is food, tea, anything to stop you leaving. To stop you leaving yeah. that room, basically. <laughs> and and a pro- yeah. and a producer whose job it is to keep you on track. Somebody in that room whose job it is to go. All right, shut up, everybody. More politely, yeah. more politely. But can we get back to episode one?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but I, I I love them. I find them I. I would love to run my own, and I would love to have um, well, extended money and time to run one because I think it's a really useful exercise to to get a lot of really excellent ideas. I've just had a commission off the BBC to do a show that's going to need—it's not factual, but it's going to need a lot of heavy research. And I would love—I would love everybody in the room to have some sort of connection to the to to the subject matter, and so that everybody can bring something different to the pot. I would would absolutely love that. But it's whether we can convince the BBC to give us the money.
0: I think it could be really useful, like even just as a thing to get young writers into rooms, because you you obviously have more than one. So you're given then opportunities to young writers to meet other writers for one and meet like an exec or two and and also other writers who are doing it and ask about that and building relationships. I think from that end, it's just really important uh, from a development standpoint um and you can do lots of idea generation but yeah as far as like whether that's the way we should be going is is another conversation entirely but
2: well i i find it completely mad that you take you take new writers and you're expecting them to put a show together on their own to pitch it and yet if you're a really experienced writer nobody expects you to do it on your own they wouldn't dream of, i mean this morning i just sent an email to one of my production companies said, does anybody know how long it takes to get qualified as a social worker? 20 minutes later, email comes back with like 10 different links to to show me how you apply. Like, if you're on your own, you'd, you could spend five hours looking at all, couldn't you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. And still not come yeah. up with the right answer. Um, yeah. So it seems to me it, it it's much better if you've got all these heads collaborating together. I've got, I, I understand that People worry that you spend a lot of time just going over ground, going around in circles in writers' rooms. But I do also think you get a lot of a lot of collaboration, a lot of creative collaboration if you get the right if you get the right people. Um, and you get if people are prepared as well to understand that what's said in the room stays in the room, you get some really, really important, you know, like soul churning stuff. I think that again, that comes from the showrunner being the sort of person who, who they've got to share first, basically, um, and then every and then everybody else will share. And then you get you get those moments of real sort of emotional truth. I know it sounds a bit like airy fairy, but I think that definitely comes from people actually going, "Well, this awful thing happened to me." Hmm. Um, although one time on time, the producer was telling us this thing shared something like deeply profound, and then none of us said anything, and he went, "Oh, fucking thanks." <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was more we were taking it in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was like, oh, we just But about it just lunch. got like me yeah. and Jimmy's like blank faces. <laughs> you know, I'm really glad I shared that deeply vulnerable, profound <laughs> moment.
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious, but it's funny the reaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I
2: think yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of people don't realise that that's, that's kind of what writing in, no. and, and rooms and general. You know, notes and all that is about it's about you be prepared to be really, really vulnerable with your work and really truthful if you can. Even I'm writing this six part. Where I'm doing it. it's a comedy drama. It, it's it's bonkers, but like it's still going to be truthful. Um, yeah. You know, people are going to watch it and go it like, if... I think yeah, I, I think I'd do that. I think I'd react like that. Or even if you think, Oh God, I'd never react to that, but like, that's bloody interesting. I talked about a particular character to my script editor the other day. And I described him as uh, boring and safe. And hmm. he's, my script editor's only 30, young lad, and he immediately emailed me back and goes, is he boring and safe or is he just sane, Helen? And I went, oh, <laughs> now this is a really interesting reaction we're having between us because that's is it is it because me and Ergo, the character then, looks at somebody who's safe and thinks boring and someone else thinks well actually that's just a sane way to run your life Yeah. so they're all already thinking oh that's just that's interesting territory
0: then isn't it when you're saying stuff like that further down the process when an actor is looking at that character that's their that's going to be their way into it yeah because for them they're not going to be oh, i'm boring and i'm safe their way in is going to be um logical yeah and Everyone
2: around me is chaotic and idiotic and I am the linchpin keeping this family together. That's what they're going to think.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: Interestingly, I've got a Zoom. This has to do with the actress who's going to play the woman who thinks that the bloke is boring and safe. And I'd be really interested to have that conversation with her, which is like, well, what does she think, having I mean, read the script? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 really, I don't mind. I really like having actor's takes on things, a director's takes. Everybody's take on something is really interesting and adds to it. If you've got yeah. if you've got time, I mean, obviously it gets to a point where you're getting so many voices, it feels like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. And someone's got to go, no, hold on. He's boring, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's got to be space before that where everybody goes, oh, I, I I thought it was quite interesting, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good time to actually talk about time. So if you could talk to us a bit about how you how you got involved in in time and what your collaboration was, with uh, Jimmy McGovern on the show, who'd obviously done the first season. Um, yeah, it'd be cool to know what the interview process was and and also how your relationship grew.
2: Jimmy had decided he wasn't going to do a second season of Time because he thought it was done. The BBC played a blinder and said, was there a responsibility to do the women's estate? And if you know Jimmy, like, that's a responsibility now that he's got to fulfil. But he's not going to touch it. He says, oh, no, 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 it's all about women. They say, we'll get you a woman writer. So he says, well, it'll depend who, because he don't want to do it, basically. He's finding reasons not to do it. (laughs) Um, And so I had got an email just out of the blue. Well, my agent did saying, did you want to come up to Liverpool and have a conversation that my name had come up? I prepped so hard, so bloody hard. I was like, and I knew that that my writers stood up and I knew that there weren't going to be many more people out there that he would meet that would be like me. Uh, I mean, you must know this, but the vast, vast majority of people in this industry are middle class, right? Yeah. So I, I knew that that would be fine, but I also knew that I'd need to, uh, to just turn the dial a little bit. So I like did a complete charm offensive. So I support Liverpool. So I, I went completely into talk about that because Jimmy's a mad, mad Liverpool fan. I talked about my dad being a minor because obviously Jimmy's like massively left wing. I did the whole shebang, and any, and anyway, they got the job. Uh, it wasn't really an interview. It was just a chat where I just didn't shut up for two hours. And then at the bloody rap party. So we've got the whole thing now. We've filmed it. And at the rap party, I said, oh, God, I was so nervous for that interview. And Jimmy said, well, we didn't talk to anybody else. And I was like, oh, my God, imagine if I hadn't got it. <laughs> <laughs> just like, talked your way I out of it. Oh, my way out of it. I bet I, I, bet I nearly did as well, because honestly... <laughs> When I get started, I can't stop, and I did. I was so nervous. I did not shut up for like two hours. Mm. <laughs> Fucking oh, hell! Um, so yeah, and then and then after that, it right. was just a case of me going up to Liverpool for like a day, half a day, and just just talking. And then one t- one time we went round to jail um, and met loads of inmates. And another time, an ex-offender came to talk to us, and then more time in the room talking. But then eventually you get to the point where you can't put it off anymore. You know, the BBC wants some scripts, basically.
0: And were you outlining together or did he put together like general outline of what he'd want to attack and then kind of let you run with it? Or was it all just through crafted through conversations then you ran off and wrote it?
2: It was just more, we were talking. But the, but there was a, produ- well, there were two two producers were there. So there was a good note being taken. So though it was not methodical in any way, we could, we could pick a, three characters and where they were going. Um, so so we kind of knew we just needed to chunk it down into three episodes where we thought that how that might work. And then Jimmy wrote episode one, I wrote episode two, and we just switched and we just kept switching until we were happy. But there were certain things that like Jimmy just didn't tackle at all, like anything to do with women's bodies. So um, mm. uh, that was just kind of left to be, really. Um, mm. Which I, I, you know I think that's really respectful as well to do that. Like it, it was like. You know, I'm not going to write a birth scene. Um, So uh, yeah, he was just really, really respectful about that. And actually, in every interview we've done since, he's just been really, really like say like I could. He doesn't just say like oh, I wanted help. He'll he'll be really honest and just say I could not have done this. So Mm -hmm. and I think you know maybe a few more male writers ought to think along those lines, to be honest, or like white writers like with like you know black stories like maybe people or if it's like you know disabled. You know, if you're an able bodied mm. person, like maybe you ought to just be really honest and say, I need a disabled co writer. Not, mm. not oh, let's pop somebody in a writer's room for 10 minutes and pretend we've yeah. had, and let them consult. You know what I mean? Like, why, yeah. wh- why don't we just properly have them co writing?
1: So, when you were doing the research and you were doing, you know, your interviews and whatnot, like, do you have a method of how that kind of like seeps its way into your work?
2: Well, on time or generally?
1: A bit of both, really. Yeah.
2: Well, well, on, on, well, to be honest, life and death in the warehouse and time were very similar. In the, the, the research was everything, and like to make it as absolutely truthful as possible, and not to deviate from that. Um, so we went to extraordinary lengths to make things correct in both those shows. Um, but in a way, that's easy. I mean, people go, "Oh God," is not it just easier just to make it up? Well, actually, no, because quite often the truth gives you a huge amount of drama like it is true in time that you can get released from prison with a tent so like mm. how are you not going to use that, that? Nuts, how, and how, and how yeah, are you yeah, not yeah. going to use that in a scene it's, it's yeah. going to give you drama isn't it like
0: yeah oh my yeah. god
2: she's only got a fucking tent so yeah
0: you know it's like a piss take
2: yeah so like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of almost it's like it, it's a gift for a storyteller mm. right And then all the little tiny details uh, you tend to have, once once you're underway, you'll tend to have like a dedicated researcher. And so, Mm. or I don't know if they're dedicated to you, but it's anyway, somebody somewhere who's very kindly answers a lot of your questions via the producer. Yeah. So then you've got like, you know, like if you were saying like, oh, how long would somebody get for stealing electricity? Then we had, it was a friend of mine, actually. uh, It was practicing barrister, but she also consults for telly. And she would explain to us all the reasons you would go to jail and reasons you wouldn't. And it's same in Life and Death in the Warehouse. We had a we had a documentary researcher that sort of level of detail, um, so that then we could include it in the script and just in the general general texture. Sometimes you don't even need it, but it's the general texture of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it it makes it feel. I think it depends what you're doing, don't you? If there are certain dramas like Time and Life and Death where you're making a pact with the viewer that you're not just... Mm. This isn't bullshit. People do yep. get sent out with a tent. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then yeah, and yeah, then yeah. there are other dramas where that pact is not there. So, like, they know you're just... It's just made up, right? Um, yeah. It's the tone of your drama, isn't it?
0: It is important. There's, like, whenever I'm writing... Um, I've done it before where when I was probably much earlier on in my career, you write stuff cause it's cool and not really for the right reasons. But like now there's, I know there's more of a responsibility. And, um, <clears throat> thankfully I say thankfully, but like three or four of my friends are police officers weirdly. Um, so like when I'm, when I'm like writing something, which is like, there's a big incident, which happens, then you're dealing with the aftermath. Like I literally always ask them, like, this is the scenario. What would, what would you do? What would your interview sound like? What sort of questions would you ask? and then once you've got that then it kind of sets you free to be creative within with the information and create the stuff from that it's it's all got to be grounded in research
2: i'm doing the true story a a miscarriage of justice so carly five five guys went to um i'm co-writing it five guys basically were fitted up by the police sent to jail for murder like a really horrific murder Uh, and we were lucky enough we got to meet three of them one died but you two are still alive and acted as consultants. But it's also very highly documented. And for example, I think there were 19 hours. They were interviewed for 19 hours. Uh, and, th- and that's why I wouldn't have cracked and confessed. But we have the we have the transcripts. So we were just like, well, surely we'll just use the real words. <laughs> it's like, you know, you could make this shit up, basically. Yeah. How are the police doing this? I mean, obviously we've had to truncate it because now nobody's gonna watch 19 hours it. but like yeah. it was just like Let's use, let's use some verbatim stuff here um, mm. so people can understand the level of pressure uh, that they were placed upon and again it's like well why wouldn't you?
0: If you're writing the same thing. yeah, you yeah, yeah. yeah. That, like, If, if, you, if you think you
2: can do it better I don't understand why you would think that. Just to ask you a bit of a craft
1: question just generally like what is your kind of like writing process you were talking about before you have loads of ideas and then you, t- you, you, you won't write them into a spec script you might just get them down as ideas like like what what is it is it the conflict is it the premise is it a log line and then when do you actually start moving towards like pending the script and I guess now you will do made to order right obviously before you might have been just generating um at what point do you start writing the script
2: um if, it, if it's my own thing that I'm going to take out and try and sell to people Because it's TV, what I'll tend to do is I'll concentrate on what the world is, because obviously we've got to spend a lot of time in a world and telly, and I'll concentrate on the characters, and I'll concentrate on the tone, and I'll concentrate on the themes, and plot will come absolutely last of all, because to be honest, plot will be the thing that you'll change when you're actually writing it. So I always, in my mind, everybody do it their own way, but in my mind, I can't be... I was going to say can't be arsed, but that's not the right word. But I can't be worried about spending too much time on a plot that will change. Yeah. Everything about it will change. So I concentrate on the things that I feel like are set in stone, which normally for me will be the tone and the themes and a few main characters, because I think they'll see you through TV for a long time. And then I'll just start jotting it all down.
1: Like, like, like what with tone? Like what, what is your interpretation of tone? It's something we talk about a lot on the podcast is what the fuck is tone? Because it's it's uh, not... <laughs> no one knows.
2: <laughs> it, to me, yeah. well, it might be different for directors, but for me with the writing, what the tone is, is ultimately, is it like in, in time? It's like, it's dark, it's gritty, it's truthful and authentic. That's the tone. And so that comes across in every word on the page. But also, I guess, and um, you'd have to talk to Andrea, but like when she's directing it, that 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 has to also come through in the visual aspect. And like it's very little music. It's beautifully scored, beautifully scored, but it's not intrusive in any way, the music. And I think that everybody's making those decisions so that that tone then, like, this comedy drama I'm doing, it's, like, got loads of bounce. So if you think, like, um, bad sisters, desperate housewives, the canoe man, do you know what I mean? Like, mm, so bounce. Mm. So you've got to have, it's quite, it, you know, there's a crime, and it's quite a dark crime, but it's quite joyful as well, which you'd never call time joyful. It's got joyful little yeah. moments, but you wouldn't say it's a joyful... Yeah. Or you might say something's heightened. Mm. Uh, so, like, bam, 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 bam. Um, as, as opposed to something that's more nuanced or subtle. Um, and so when I'm doing a pitch document, I'll tend to do a paragraph on tone. Mm. And I'll just say it boldly like that. Oh, it's bouncy. Um, oh, it's dripping in authenticity or whatever. And then I'll try and give a few comps just so that you can visually know where I am. But also, I'm a firm believer in writing your pitch document. In the tone of your show. If it's if it's meant to be bouncy, make that pitch document bloody bounce. So that no point telling someone, oh, it's gonna be bouncy, but this document is dry as fuck. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> what I mean? No, try and at least make somebody laugh twice while they read that pitch document, you know? And keep yeah. it and keep it short. For God's sake, keep it <laughs> short. Nobody reads them. You know, then 10-page bloody Bibles, nobody reads them so yes. uh just keep it short um and then, that's
0: really really helpful
2: and then in terms of like the scripts well I haven't really written anything on spec in such a long time um but like if a, if a producer says write the script or broadcaster write the script so not like it's a commission not a green light you know what I mean like they're paying you to write it but but you're in a relationship with somebody that, that's involved, then I'll try to get their take on it as well. Because I think the worst thing you can do is deliver a script and that's not what they were expecting at all. So I'll try to have plenty of conversations with them like, what are you expecting? What are you wanting? Send them a little outline, just bullet points. Do you know what I mean? It, some producers like a detailed outline. Some don't, but I'll say, oh at least have a read of these bullet points because I don't want us I don't want you reading it and going, what there this isn't at all i want you to feel like oh this is this is this is where we were both thinking and then core oh, then the hard work starts doesn't it all the rewriting all the notes
0: yeah <laughs> uh, b- before we get on to the old rewriting which is uh, a whole thing in itself I, uh because i guess at the conception stage and at the pitch stage what i get asked sometimes is about theme what are the themes And for me, that kind of feels like the end of the process when you look back and then you see what it's about. Um, But I was wondering what your relationship is with theme when you're kind of setting out to write. And uh, do you kind of think these are the things I want to tackle um, and it's about this? Or or do you kind of just, you know, where you're going and the characters and the story that you want to tell and then you kind of just have at it?
2: I know right from the start what I'm wanting to be saying. Um, So... My themes are really clear. You'll find some different ones along the way as well. Like um, yeah, uh, in 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 time, there were things that really surprised us that came up as really recurring motifs that we weren't expecting. But um, um, ultimately, we knew that the theme about season two of time was like women and women's biology and what it means to mm. be a mother. You know what I mean? As well yeah. as all the dealing of incarceration, etc um
0: motherhood motherhood felt really strong in this Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that's what i got yeah
2: i mean it's like you've got to again six hours of tv is long 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 four hours three hours is long so i think a theme is a really useful i'll tell you what a theme is really useful in a writer's room when everybody's like absolutely run dry to go what what is he we trying to say here and then somebody will go what are we trying to say and then all of a sudden you refreshed okay so what about this scene could we be saying about that? And you don't have to know the answer. You're just exploring questions, aren't you? And I think, to be honest, we all end up just exploring the same things time and time and time again. <laughs> It's that it's that stuff we're a bit obsessed with, isn't it?
0: And what, what were the things which kind of came up? You said there was some motifs which came up which you weren't anticipating with time. What were they?
2: You'd have to talk to the others involved, but like for me, the the like the issue of identity and kept coming up and the issue of privacy kept coming up. There's no privacy at all in jails. No. And they live in women live in these like mixed houses as opposed to cells.
0: Yeah, I didn't realise that. I was like, oh, they're cooking their own meals. It's
2: not every jail, <laughs> but like, like, it's like they're like really shit sort of residences, do you know what I mean? But with the door locked mm. um, and you're locked up with some, a lot of very difficult people. Um, yeah. But like that lack of privacy uh, sort of really stood out to me, like right from the start when all, it's like all her story started that she didn't tell people that she was in court because... She was private and she was embarrassed. Uh, mm. And then as soon as she got to jail, like she was being asked the most personal questions and then she gets a period and it's just she had no privacy. And so mm. we just kept dealing with that. And then the children, because they end up in care, they get no privacy. You know what I mean? All mm. your calls are being listened to. So that that was a theme that just sort of struck me of like, oh, gosh, like that that would be very hard and very wearing
0: what was really strange when I was watching the first episode, I was at a friend's house and they live in Brixton and I kid you not, it's literally right next to Brixton prison. Oh, like, yeah. That the closest houses to that. And we are watching it and it was just like, I, I'm personally, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a lefty and I don't understand the prison system at all. To me, it doesn't make sense. And I, I kind of see that, I was watching it through that lens um, of how ridiculous the whole thing is and the damage it does. Um, as a punishment it doesn't just affect the people that you're locking up it, it ruins people's lives potentially who are victims or not it was really wild to kind of be watching it in the comfort of like a house where I can like leave and stuff and do whatever and then knowing that this exact same world is happening literally on the same road I was like this is fucked up but it's out of sight out of mind that's what prison feels like um, and I think it did a really good job of 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 kind of showing that um just sort of how much of a a futile endeavour it is and it doesn't actually solve anything. It's 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 a really Victorian way of punishing people. And we we're at a point where I think we could do better. The character of uh, Tamara Lawrence's character was was um a clever story to have because you kind of incorporated probably bar announcing like the worst crime someone could possibly do. And then you take the time to contextualize that for the audience through a conversation um to show that people it's not, it's not black or white. People aren't good or bad. Um, there's bigger things at play. And I think it was Yeah, it was. It was really, really smartly done.
2: Well, when I, when I first went to talk to Jimmy about it, and he was like, I've, I've got in my mind three scenarios. What do you think? I said, oh, go on then. So he's like, I've got in my mind this woman, and she's just done small crime, but she hasn't told anybody. So she gets sent to jail and the kids are still at school. I was like, brilliant. What a brilliant start to a drama. And then he goes, and then the second one, She's a heroin addict and they pee test everybody when they come in and she's pregnant. And so we can play out through her the story of what a pregnancy looks like in jail. Absolutely. I was like, genius. Then he goes, the third one, he goes, yeah, she's murdered a baby. I was like, oh, I went, I think I literally went, are you shitting me, Jimmy? But how are we going to make anybody care? About someone who's murdered their baby, the producers were just like, "I know, I know," <laughs> but he was adamant, adamant, and it wasn't that you we were meant to come away feeling like, "Oh, actually, she was not guilty," or uh, you know, he was adamant, and actually, somehow along the way, partly through Tamara's genius as well, is that you you came away not hating her. Do you know, it's like, like, oh, my God, this terrible thing's happened to her. She's got to do her time. But could she not do it peacefully, please? And could she not be allowed to grieve for her own child? You know, that was her story arc, was just because it's a very small arc, really. Like, she, you know, can you grieve for a child that you actually killed? Are you allowed to? Can you allow yourself to do that? Um, so, yeah, he's a genius because I would have run away from that story screaming, <laughs> when the director
1: uh, Andrea Harkin boarded the process, did you ever say in any of the, the the things of how she would like interpret, and did she have notes, and you know, you know, how did how did that workshop in the script, did that go into production? Were you called on set to be on standby, or did, or did Jimmy just do that? And what questions was she coming to up, up with for you? I know that we'll we'll ask her when we get her on, but it's more about from the writer's perspective, what your what your role was.
2: Because it had to be its own thing; it couldn't just be time one, Lewis had directed it absolutely beautiful and loads of worlds but it couldn't just be another run of that it had to be its own thing whilst part of an anthology, She's a dreadful job to give someone really but um, yeah so basically she when, we, when she got the script she did ask questions and we had a read through just so me, two producers, Jimmy and Andrea sat in a room and, and the line producer actually, we all took parts and read it out which was quite quite And then she just asked lots and lots of questions, many of which we could answer, some of which we couldn't, uh, which told us that we needed to go back and do a bit more work. Or it was a question of like logistics or like, well, how do you see it or whatever? But once once she got going, you'd occasionally I mean, Jimmy hates going to set. I'm not a big fan. There's nothing for you to do as a writer. Honestly, they give you your cans. You sit in front of the Screen, you're not, you know, you might as well be at home watching the telly. It's like everybody mm. treats you like royalty, but really, you're in the way. So, and like, they'll <laughs> like the runner will, like you know, they've been told oh, it's the writer, you know. But like, yeah. my daughter was a runner for Lewis actually on The Long Shadow, so I know, mm. I know full well they ain't got no time to be making the writer a bloody cup of tea, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like just in everybody's way so you go out of politeness and also interest uh but actually if they've got any notes from a set they just ring you up
0: um,
2: mm. um and actually, but 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 Jimmy taught me a brilliant lesson which he's very light touch so he's very like uh well you know you're the director you're the actors you're the producers unless unless they're coming back with huge changes but no one ever does that to Jimmy anyway so mm. um if you get Practical notes. Well, they've got to be done, haven't they? Because like you can't get round that. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. You know, when I was always telling this story of life and death in the warehouse, which was some of the scenes set on a, a fire escape, and the fire escape wasn't safe. So that's that, isn't it? You've got you've got to figure a way around that.
0: So you had to change the scene. Yeah yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um. And you know, you've got your director there taking pictures of what they have got. And, and, and you've got to just say, and was this
0: did this come up on the day or did this come out uh, come up earlier than that
2: well we didn't have much prep time so it you know uh we were we were very close I would say uh, mm, and mm. and I think yeah you just then you know you've got your director they've got their iPad or phone or whatever and they're going around going what you know and you're just going like well you're there you know you just got to have huge faith have not you in your director that that they want the same as what you want so
0: yeah, which I assume happens through conversations, lots of conversations beforehand. Yeah. Um, was there any specific moments, um, on time which which you were kind of like, um, not fighting fires, but like just changing things you were going as you were discovering it, or is it just a case of uh, Andrea was just just rolling with it? Yeah.
2: Well, she, she was mostly rolling with it. To be honest, uh, there were a few bits and pieces where we're about like, oh, that just doesn't work, so how about this, how about this, this, and this? Uh, the biggest problem was Andrea got COVID right towards the end of the shoot. Oh, yeah. So we were in that situation of what now? Uh, so we had to go back to the BBC for more money um, because, like, you're going to post that. Are you replacing Andrea right at the last minute? And also we had saved some of um, Tamara's hardest um, scenes. So, uh... so are you bringing in? A new director i don't think so Mm. Mm. (laughs) um so that was that was thank god do you know what i mean and like and And Mm. and andre got back in very quick time probably probably she probably was still poorly bless her but you know how it
0: is the show must go on
2: Um, you got yeah because because we'd only got you know Bella, I've got to go off and do the next thing. You know, uh, you've got got the location. You've just not got the money, have you, after a certain period of time?
0: With cast as well, were you involved in casting at all for it? And um, did the cast uh, help shape the script in any way, shape or form as well during pre-production or or during the shoot with with their readings of the characters?
2: Oh, good question. Uh, Jimmy may have had more conversations than me. I was pretty much just told who was in the mix and they were all just such amazing names that I was like hell yeah uh, the only funny thing was that the Be- um, jimmy had no idea who bella was um oh yeah um so but that was quite you know i was like just just me they're very they're very big
0: yeah, i heard jimmy asked his like teenage daughter or something about yeah. it
2: yeah yeah his grandkids
0: yeah yeah that's it that's it yeah it's like bella ramsey what <laughs> you should absolutely get him in <laughs>
2: so um, now we were lucky we got we got all our first choices so um very very lucky and then little tweaks and bits and pieces like where Jodie came from we just changed a little bit in the script because it might have been you know where she near to where she's from um I think there was a little bit of tweaking around ages of people um and then and then the ages of other people around them like you know but nothing, nothing huge.
1: Were you involved in post-production at all? Like, say, for example, if there was maybe a beat that 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 you had in the script and and it needed finessing in ADR or whatever, were you called back on that, or was that just Jimmy just did it? I mean, it might not have happened.
2: Yeah, not much happened to be honest. Uh, but um, th- there was a bit of ADR in uh, some court scenes and stuff, and um, we just got uh, our research internet to help us with that. And there were a few bits and pieces. We would get the um, rushes every day and so we could see um how it was going and it's just all really amazing it was just quite shockingly amazing the, the 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 sheer amount of stuff we had as well i mean so much got so much got cut because we just had so much so much brilliant brilliant stuff um i'm glad i had nothing to do with that decision And it's really funny when we got the um when we got the I don't know what you call it, not the final, final cut, but when you get the the the, the thing that's going to be kind of the episode. Yeah. And would one of Kelsey's or Bella's big speeches that I had written had been cut and I didn't even notice. But I think the producer was all like a bit like, oh Helen, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um And then I was like, honestly, I did not notice. I did not notice. Um mm. so um, yeah, I just I just thought they did a really, really brilliant brilliant, brilliant job.
1: How long was it from when you came on and you knew you were doing it till, like, when they start production?
2: Oh, good question. Uh, I want to say a year. So I think I went for my first interview in May, something like that. And then we started filming. We had a read-through in April. Uh, and so I think we started filming in May. Because, oh, the read-through was a shit show. I'd been... No, the read-through was great. I was a shit show. <laughs> I had been to Argentina and Brazil on holiday, and I flew back overnight the day of the read-through, got to Heathrow, jumped on a train to Liverpool, arrived last. Everybody at the head of BBC, Bella Bella frigging Ramsey. Do you know what I mean? That's some superstar shit, (laughs) I arrived last. I'm mental at this point. I've drunk about 74 Red Bulls. and, and I'm just thinking if I could just sneak in, but I'm not a sort of sneaking in sort of person. Plus they've got a chair for me right in the middle and everybody's like, going, where is she? And so I come in and I'm hugging people who have never met me. And I'm saying to everybody, oh, don't mind me, I smell. But of course they don't know I've been <laughs> on a flight. So like, they're thinking like, who's this woman? Who is, why has she not had a shower for, well, you know? And I was clearly like, you're like, oh. And then, as the day went on, I was just getting—you know—you just get weary and weary and weary. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: And then I started staying in Liverpool that night, and the producer took me out to dinner. And about half past eight, nine o'clock, he was like, "Go to bed." You just like you <laughs> look like you're about to put your head in. You put in, you know. But it's like, but the read-through was brilliant. But it's just like me. What a shocker! What a shocker! <laughs> Don't ever do that. Don't do that, kids. <laughs>
0: Top tip from Helen. Yeah. Um, so now that you're on a roll working in TV, it'd be good to know, um, like from all of the experiences which you've had, um, has your process changed at all? Now that you're kind of more aware of the structures that of working within TV and deadlines and communication, uh, yeah, how has your process changed?
2: I've always been quick, but now I try and try and be as as quick as possible. And obviously, it's got to be it's got to be thoughtful. But but people, I think what I've come to understand is. I used to get really, really terrified that every word was perfect. You know what I mean? And now I realise that quite often people just want a the document. They want a the document where we can start to finesse it. If we've got a starter, we can get going. And actually, if you're a good writer, that starting document will be it'll be pretty good anyway. It's just that you think it's a bit crap. Like, you know you could do better, but, you know, you haven't got the time. And you need to start getting notes. You just need to. And so I, I thoroughly understand now that it's just a great big journey and you need to start getting that input. In the beginning, I used to put off getting that input because it's just so weird, isn't it? Yeah. But now I'm just like, look, it, you know, this is how it is. Just crack on, girl, and get those notes and stand up against the ones that don't work or at least discuss them. Uh, get the ones done that are a bloody good idea, um, and I've also come to realise as well that when you get a notes, so I got a, do- a notes document yesterday, five pages, so your heart sinks. But actually, a lot of it's just politeness. So like <laughs> the script editor's gone, so bloody 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 blah, and then the actual note is like a line, and I'm like, yeah. Okay, so actually, this huge document of notes is not as bad as it looks. Mm. It, it's him. It's him trying to explain to me why he's giving me the note, rather yeah. than just because if yeah. you just give the notes and they're a bit blunt, then yeah. A, it gets you back up, and B, you need to know someone's thinking why. Why are they giving you that note? Particularly if mm. you've already done like nine drafts. Do you know what I mean? Why am I getting another bloody note on this? And if they go, if they say, "Well, just bear with me." bear with me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, oh, okay, fair, fair. It's not as bad as yeah. I, I thought it was. And then there are just some notes that you just like, absolutely not. Absolutely mm. not. Um, and I think it's just so sh- have confidence to say that.
0: Like, Yeah. You don't need like a shit sandwich with all bread. <laughs> it's like a whole <laughs> loaf. <laughs> yeah. Just give us the shit. Um, and I guess now you're, you're developing your own projects as you've as you've touched on. It'd be good to know a little, bit, a little bit about that and how that's going and how close those things are to being made and yeah.
2: I've got a six part of being shot in February. So Oh amazing. Better write it, are not we?
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you doing there?
2: <laughs> I'm doing um, <laughs> I'm doing episodes one, two, five and six, and then I've got another writer doing episode four and then another writer doing no, one three and one doing four. I've thoroughly recommend that, by the way. Six is a lot. Mm. I think if I was doing mm. four, I'd do it all myself because unless I needed a co-writer um, for whatever reason. But I think if it was four, I can see that that needs to be more authored and it actually might be harder for someone coming. But then never say never because you don't know how busy you'll be or what that person will bring. That person might bring something absolutely stunning because nobody ever just works just on their episode. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. all, when I've worked on shows, you always bring in more to all the other episodes. Well, you ought to be um so yeah so i've got people working on that and they're brilliant um it's a bit quick the turnaround is a bit quick the pro- they wanted it even quicker but the producer's brilliant and she pushed back on it and actually said to the amazing to them you know y- you can't have it that quick uh and, f- and that's always a bit you know squeaky biscuits isn't it because they might go fine whatever then um yeah but you can't you you know you need a certain amount of time to write a show and to get a show made I mean honest to God Productions just hell on Earth isn't it? it's not well not for me Clive honestly yeah. <laughs> they've got like a really big office, offices production company and half of it's empty so they've been able to put all the freelance production team actually in the office the downside of that is when I go to the to the to the producers I can see them so I I'm like, and they all come and say hello to everybody, and I'm like, oh, I just don't know what to say to you because I know this is horrible, and I know we don't have enough money, and I know that you're gonna constantly have to tell me no, and that that actress doesn't want to go to bloody Malta for ten weeks, and oh, you know, mm. so but it's like it's really in your face because they're all there. Going, oh, here she comes. What bloody idea has she got today that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna take me all weekend? <laughs> um, yeah. But I suppose everybody's like everybody's a volunteer,
0: aren't they? So, <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, well, congratulations on that. I mean, that's 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 really exciting to hear that. It's all kind of moving, and it's been really nice to to hear your journey. Um, yeah, it's 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 very inspiring as well. I'm not sure if you, have, if you have any more questions to add to that. Oz. I think the only thing that I wanted to ask you about Helen was just about
1: you know you were saying that oh, if I'm on draft nine uh, or whatever, I just wanted to ask you about your rewriting. Like like how do you you know how is that for you? Like just 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 doing loads of that. Is it something that obviously you know? There's a saying, right? All writing is rewriting, right?
2: Yeah, it really, it really, really is. Rewriting, doing your own rewrites is kind of harder because like uh, you're just looking at you at a draft that you know in your mind is perfect eh. and trying to find ways to make it better. When you get notes, even though they're a nightmare in many ways, at, at, at least at least it's a specific. You know what I mean? Like like. Well, I always ask for specific notes. I I can't be doing with them notes where people say, oh, could it just be a bit fresher? No, it couldn't. Can you tell me which bit is not fresh and how you would like me to freshen it up? Because, (laughs) you know, we we are not tomatoes. Um, Hmm. Because I just can't be doing with those notes that mean nothing. Um, Yeah. So so I just like, look, I I know that's just producer talk, so can you please stop uh, and just give me very specific notes and and then... You know, and then we'll like if your if your note is let's get rid of the voiceover. Fine, that's a specific note. Let's talk about it and why we don't like it and why we don't want it and what we'll have in its place for all that exposition. Um, But fine, that's a specific note. It may affect the entire series, but it's a specific note. Um, Which yeah, and and you, you you can't be telling me the tone's wrong, like. That the tone is the tone.
1: Now, the follow-up question I've got to that is, when you have a writing deadline, right, and the, and, and, and the deadline's looming, do you have a strategy of how you are going to smash through the agreed notes in order to hit that deadline so you don't go into, like, writer paralysis?
2: Really strict diaries. I have an A4 diary with all my... And it's got, like, like 9, ten, ten thirty. 10, 30 so it's like my day, like, at a, a glance. And I put in there all my meetings, my phone calls, my Zooms, if I'm traveling, how much traveling time, like be realistic, like yesterday I had to go to Reading. Like, don't tell me it's half an hour to Reading, you know, full well, it's two hours, girl, so put two. You're setting off at eight to get there for 10, you know? You're not going to finish till 2.30, so you ain't coming home at 4.30. Stop pretending you'll take a meeting on the train or that you'll read something amazing. You won't, you'll look at Twitter. So be honest with your day, you know, and how much time you've got. And when you have got a deadline and something's got to be handed in, just just blank it out in your diary. Just just be, you. just say no to people. Say They won't mind if you just say, I cannot come to that meeting tomorrow and must draft this script. Because it kind of is your job. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. but on the other hand, it's hard because you're constantly thinking about the next job, right? Like, mm. like we're all freelancers, right? You must be like the same, right? You like it's all very well to 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 be this job, but what will I be doing next year? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got you've got to have so much in the pipeline for like it's just juggling. Got to get good at juggling. Um, I like I like that because as I say I get bored really easily so I find it if I thought that I was only working on one project for six months I'd be terrible absolutely terrible Mm. just be bored and and then when I'm bored I get mischievous I'd be causing trouble you know what I mean so I'm better if I'm just you know I've got a little bit of little bit of variety
0: yeah yeah yeah
2: work on yeah yeah
1: awesome brilliant well, thank you, Helen, yeah, for you that. So much. I think We're that's taking uh, the
0: time. Yeah, oh, that's that,
1: that, that's really um, inspiring, uh, especially because you're
0: a fellow Yorkshire person as well. For me, <laughs> I had like fears that I'd be speaking with an uh, with a Yorkshire accent by end of this <laughs> by the end of this chat. Yeah, yeah. I've
2: got I've got. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant podcast you're doing. It's really good. I listened to the first one because it was Lewis. Oh um, uh,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, and as I say, we've got this weird connection me and Lewis, through time, but also yeah. through, my do- through my daughter through my daughter. Um
0: mm.
2: that's quite funny because um, like she was working for him but obviously he had no idea and then my producer on time went to speak to Lewis when he was doing the long shadow uh, just to say, you know, we're going on time but I don't think there was any suggestion that Lewis was going to, wanted even to do uh, season two but they wanted a female director um, so obviously they were going to have that conversation but I said to my producer while you're there say hello to the runner because it's my daughter um, And uh, but instead what he did was he said to the Lewis I hope you're being nice to the runner
0: yeah yeah well, I imagine it,
2: it turns out yeah. <laughs> that she's my yeah, so daughter gets yeah. two
0: sugars in the coffee instead of one yeah yeah
2: <laughs> no she said he's absolutely fine to work for so that was never a problem um, well, that's cool but, he's a good guy Lewis yeah he's a lovely guy but that was why I, I listened to the first pod because Lewis was on it and, um, but then after that, I went back and we, and like me and Andrea, um, just on, on this season of time, we were both saying it's really good, isn't it? People are really honest, which is unusual in this industry. Yeah. I understand it that we all have to have a veneer of what our career is and never admit this. bit, you know, like people get a little bit, whenever I say like there's a bin with my name on it, people go, why are you admitting that? Well, you know, because there just is. Um,
0: it's a weird mystique though it's just nonsense but I think that comes from maybe I I don't know I'm guessing I'm going to throw shade at upper classes but maybe it's just because like the class system is just nonsense anyway and it's all perception you take away the money it's just nonsense and it's perception it's self-importance so like I'm not sure if there's a bit of a trail of that of just people trying to uphold a mystique of something when actually it's like the job is a very very practical skill which you can learn like any other job like the way I look at the the working world is that like for example i worked at pizza hut when i was like 18 19 i knew nothing about pizzas other than that it was delicious but by the time (laughs) i had been there for like six months and doing it most day day in day out i knew how to make them i knew how to sell them i knew how to do all the stuff around it It it's just because i turned up and did it every day and it's the same with this it's like yeah it's no different you can turn up and do it every day and you'll get good at it yeah it's all practical stuff you can learn,
2: and it's um, it's it's also as well. There are ways as well of you of you figuring out how much bullshit you're being told. So like, I, I don't I don't know for directors, but like as a writer, you get told get given a lot of bullshit by producers. But do you know what? I'm as well as capable as anybody else to see when you last made a TV show, my friend. So, like, don't be giving me the Billy Big bollocks (laughs) when you ain't made anything since 2019. Do you know what I mean? I've made more telly than you. So, whereas in the beginning, I think you're like, I don't know, other people. But I I was a little bit, like, almost, like, grateful that a producer would, like, buy me a cup of tea. Now I'm all a little bit like, hmm. Mm. So producer that's an interesting description for (laughs) itself
0: yeah well you're the one with the currency right you're the one that has the ability to sit and tell the story like they have their own skill set but it it all branches from the the story and your your ability to tell that so you've you have as much currency in this game as anyone else
2: it's very it's very hard it's very hard to to because you're you're at home and you you can see that it's all just it's just making shit up and writing it down.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> but that has a, a, got a value. Do you know what I mean? It, it has a crazy value. Um, yeah. uh, but there are too many of us in this industry. Way too many of us. So our val our value is not very great until mm. we are in that group of writers that are getting work. And that's the hard mm. bit. That's the really once you get in work, it's fine it's it's yeah. it's getting that step up to 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 but then would you know I was having a exchange a text exchange with a young writer. It's probably not that young. It's probably the same age as you too. It's just me, I'm ancient. <laughs> um, um, and he's just sold an option on a, a great little script. It's obviously a good script because two producers are up for it. And and I was like, don't be scared to ask now for help. And to, If you want two days in the room outlining the series, don't sit at home on your own trying to figure out eight bloody episodes of a comedy, for God's sake. Mm. Just say mm. to them, they're a great production company. They've made amazing shows. So just ask. And he's like, oh, it's really hard, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. I've been in that situation where producers have made me feel really needy for asking for in-person meetings or help with research. You know, and, mm. then, and then as you go along, then you realise, and, and I just sent him a text this morning, like when I sent that message about how do social workers qualify, and in 20, yep. 20 minutes, somebody from the production company sent me a load of links. Now, I'm not saying that you need a 20-minute turn, you know, no, tomorrow would have been fine, but I do yeah. I do expect them to do it. That's not mm. needy, you know what I mean? Mm. They want me to write a show. It's not needy, but it's that horrible, horrible step up of yeah not wanting to seem arrogant but mm. also understanding that 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 this is this is a, this is a job you're doing and they've got a business and if you're both doing what you're paid to do it'll work brilliantly uh but you're not to feel like grateful and silly and needy because they're you know they're prepared to like look in your direction they do actually need your writer.
0: Nugget of the week: Me and Oz consume so much content throughout the week, and it's all very inspiring, and it's all from various sources. So we like to ask our guests uh, what has inspired them this week.
2: Well, it's a song. So basically, I give every project its own its own theme tune. I don't expect the producer to to to, to get it for me, but I get, that helps me move between projects. like every every project has its song, but it also. I have my own theme tune that I changed from. I know, I know that. I know, I know. That's. I think that's
0: brilliant. I know, I know.
2: So like when I when I used to go for my first generals, I used to go for that. Gosh, that's brilliant. um, uh, Christine and the Queens, you know, uh, really disco sound because I just think it put me in the mood. But more more recently, uh, I listened to a rapper called uh, NF, uh, an American rap artist, absolutely brilliant. And a song that I've been listening to a lot at the moment is called Hope. It's got a great video, but the it, the lyrics are superb. And to just, it, again, to give, to give, to buoy me up and realise that I am in the position I am in my career now because I am and stop feeling bad about it. So some of the lyrics, this is always the lyric that I always think that I would be saying to somebody who that's not treated me very well in this industry. So it's like, I don't want you to feel like a failure. I know this hurts, but I gave you a chance to deliver. And now it's my fucking turn. And I always think like that is something that I would like to sing to certain people who have not been brilliant to me. But there's also something that I sing to myself and I would love to say to other writers, which is, if you don't believe in you, why do you expect anybody else around to? And it's like, that's all you've got as a writer is belief in your words. That's all you've got. There's nothing else, nothing else at all. So just believe in your words.
0: Love that. Wow. Smashed it with the nugget of the week. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
1: (laughs) That's like your ring walk.
0: Yeah. 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 To your desk.
1: Yeah. It's morning.
2: Listen to that song now, everybody. Do the work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what about yours? What's What's your
1: because um, because we've game? got Helen on uh, as a writer. I uh, want to share a writing resource and one that's helped me a lot over the years. It's quite it's quite a big resource. It's, it's a website called Going to Story by Scott Mays, and it's it's really really good. And he has like bite sized uh, information on there. But then he also has like interviews. It's really really good. Like a previous guest of ours, Sam Barron, actually, when he won the Nichols Fellowship, he's got an interview on there as well. it's a really really good resource i mean it's massive it's overwhelming it's ridiculous but it's it's just it's really really good and you can get you can get some really nice um crafty things from there so yeah
0: awesome and mine is uh, it's my youtube video of the week uh mine is ridley scott with a cinefix which is from ign and it's um ridley scott picks a favorite shot from each of his iconic movies so it's topical because napoleon's out in the next week i believe um And yeah, he's a legend of the game. He's like 85 and still doing it. He's up there with with, um, the best and his filmography has got some iconic films in it. So um, yeah, it's just good to see what his favorite shots are because it's not necessarily the ones which are actually iconic uh, in the eyes of the wider cinema community, but he's picked them out for a reason. Um, And a lot of it is just like simple because of the grandeur of something or um, and there's a good few nuggets in there as well. So yeah, it's a cool little watch. And the link's Will be in the description. That's
2: brilliant. I'll tell you something else that's worth watching as well. I went through your podcast about short films, and I've been watching all them, and they're brilliant.
0: Ah, yeah, which ones did you watch? Did you oh watch, my um... god!
2: I'm, honestly, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm so like rule based because I know that otherwise as I was to say I'll get into mischief. I was literally I wrote them down as you said them, and I was watching them in like in order, like as if, oh, as if like as if it was a course that I needed to. Do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got a little shout on Twitter. Like the head of directors, UK. Well, one of the people high up in directors, UK was like, "This is like a little." Film school, and was like, yeah, it kind of is. It like, kind of is. You learn so much. It kind yeah, of yeah. is.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, what? Which one did you watch? Did you watch Getting On by any chance? while d- you were interested it?
2: I did, and I watched and I watched the one where I've um, oh got, can't remember the title, but where the, you can it's the heist, and you can't see anything.
0: Oh, Pitch Black heist. How? Oh, yeah. God, he's- yeah yeah How clever! there's such cool concepts with throughout isn't there how yeah.
2: clever how clever and i was like thinking like i was Im- Im- immediately as a writer thinking like i wonder how they wrote that script it did you know what i mean like what what's on the page
0: yeah yeah uh, it's really smart production really wise smart. it's really smart as well yeah,
2: yeah yeah so clever so clever i could never write a short <laughs> no because it's hard oh, go, it's Mr. really hard
0: yeah I was I was watching a feature the other day actually. I I'm not going to say what it was. But it was it's a good film, but like the first 10 minutes nothing happens. It's just show it's just like you are following a character's life. There's no inciting incident, there's nothing. And I was watching it, I was just like this is the distance which a short is like usually at this point is thrown away and be like this is too long for our festival program. And nothing has happened. It's like you could never do this in a short film, but you have to like train within the shorts to create this like really tightly intensely packed narrative and be so short and sharp of it and precise to then go on and be let off in features where you can just fuck around for 10 minutes and it's fine there's (laughs) an amazing amazing
2: short called cake which has got uh god knows how maxine Peake and letitia Wright in it i mean who Amazing. Oh, Mason! Oh, ho- ho- yeah. go ho- ho- <laughs> back that, but it's basically just them. It's black and white. I'm, look it up; it's great. It's just them, yeah, yeah. them sitting on some railway track. So you assume that they've just done a—I don't know—a robbery, or it's the end of the world, or they've just murdered. You don't know, but they're basically just sitting there talking about cake and like if it, it and like and then. It, and that they've got, like, I won't spoil it for you because they've got a gun and there's a good twist at the end. But it's just basic. It's just brilliant, though, because in that tiny little space and this moment of dialogue, there's just like a world of three beats. It's just fun. Mm. It's fun. They've both got an amazingly understandable character, God knows how quickly. And there's a story. And there's also this massive backstory that you don't know, but you kind of place upon it.
0: Yeah. It- mm.
2: Oh, blood. I know they're great actresses, but it's so bloody clever.
0: Check that out. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Helen. Oh, my pleasure. Been, it's my absolute pleasure. Chat. It's been great. Big fan of your work. And um, yeah, it's great to see the reaction. So I'll be keeping an eye out for, for the next one.
1: When you two were talking about time, I actually muted you both because I didn't want to hear about <laughs> the storylines. Um,
2: oh, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah.
1: So we'll have to say at the top of this episode, Monk, it's a spoiler filled episode. Yes, yeah yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, it's been really hard, you know, I've been doing all these press and it's really hard to know, you know, because, like, they are, I'm still doing it, I'm doing something on Friday because, like, they're still hoping people watch it on iPlayer. I think the numbers, I mean, obviously, they hope people watch it forever, but I think the numbers are counted in 30 days. So, like, you know, you need people to watch it within that period, which is mad, isn't it, in a way, but, like, that's how they. that's how they decide if it's been a success or not.
1: People are watching it. Like my family are watching it. Like my mother in law was at it on the other day and I said, Oh, we're gonna get the right of that one next week.
2: Yeah, no, it I think I think the numbers are good. I mean they're good. not like, you know, you know, like uh, I think the best thing ever on BBC's been bodyguard. They're not that level. But you wouldn't expect that for a Jimmy show.
1: Like it's timing in it. Like the world right now is dominated by another story for everyone yeah. with with what's going on. So it's 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 you know for it just penetrate that
0: and still allow people yeah. to watch it is yeah. a great thing
2: yeah it's just, it's just me asking <laughs> question. How do you, how, how does a question how does a director get to director?
0: that's a fucking question I'm assuming
2: <laughs> sh- sh- mean, yeah you need to like get credits like maybe on the second block or something Just that, well, is that right
0: yeah it's, it's tough because um, basically like as a first time director unless you have a credit you're seen as a risk and I don't know what you can do about that until you get a credit and so like me and Oz have both trained on house of the dragon was there for 16 months and i think every uh person that decides on jobs or just assumes that we sat with our fingers up our asses not doing anything for the whole time it's like we we were there on set for 200 days like which is more than most directors will have ever done on a set Never. Um, yeah. yeah and we're like watching every which way you can go into a room with high level actors and choreograph a scene and do like blocking and all that sort of stuff vfx technical stuff like that's so deeply ingrained in us now. Like we know what the job is. And that was at the end of us having like trained as much as we have and done all the shorts. Um, but regardless of that, we're still seen as a risk because we don't have, well, I personally don't have a second unit credit or like a stack of them to show that I've done stuff within a system. Yeah, I think it's a case of like you basically, if my, if my short film goes to Sundance and wins a prize at Sundance, I'm sure I'll be a sexier proposition and be in people's minds for them to be like, oh, this guy's done this. Let's bring them in for an interview because they're obviously going places. But unless that doesn't happen, time can just flitter away unless you either keep making stuff or you meet the right connection or someone decides to champion you. That's kind of it.
2: It's the same with writers. It, the, the pipeline will dry up at some point because the people who are a safe pair of hands are just getting more and more expensive and more and more busy. And, that, and you know, like, like my little show about somebody going to a rave in Wakefield is, is not going to attract... A weather director of the House of Trump. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, but yeah, there's no way for someone to make that leap, is there? Is this exactly
0: yeah. exact, exactly it's, the same writing
2: luck. until somebody actually just goes, "Oh, go on, go on, let it go. Yeah. And Yeah. What's the worst? <laughs> what's that the could worst happen?
0: that
2: can happen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. particularly like a second block. I feel like the main director's there, like. It'll be okay.
0: I, I think what it comes down to, I'm not sure if people understand what directors do. So they think, and a part of it, it comes from the mystique and stuff which has been built up. So I don't think they realise, like, it's actually not not simple, but as in, like, when we got onto the House of Dragon, the first thing we noticed is that, like, 80% of it we could already do. And it's really not that much different. Like, you strip everything away, it's still, act, like, even though they're wearing fancy, expensive costumes and it's in a fancy, expensive set they're still actors doing dialogue, walking in one direction, saying one thing and then leaving in another. That's kind of it. It's <laughs> really no different. My friend
2: who uh, works on the art department, we were talking about like big budget and he was on about some great big film he did in an America. He said I would exactly the same issues as Call the Midwife, which was yeah. rain, food delivered to the wrong lock. It's <laughs> just did that Exactly. <laughs> You know it's like it's just the same same stuff right and like yeah got to get through them scenes they got to get through the schedule got to get through the the best performances from the actor
0: got to yeah. kind of stick it's to the budget being very, <laughs> yeah being very practical it's like if you know what the process is you can be very practical and the thing the thing which you can't learn is like the meetings beforehand is like what they are and how to prep properly but me, I was mean, literally lived that for like months and months and months.
2: Yeah, I think I. Do you know what? I think that is really important. I I didn't know anything about this, but I know that I was talking to my producer on something, and she said a particular director had done a dreadful interview. But she knew them. Mm. She knew them, and she knew she was like, "It's fine, but they're but they just they're gonna we're gonna have to talk to them because they're gonna hold themselves back if they can't do a better pre interview you know just again just talking all that yeah yeah it's just being able to articulate all that stuff isn't it about time and artistic and and that's the the funny thing isn't it that you'll you'll do an interview where you're talking about all that stuff and then the job itself will be can we please make sure that we finish today
0: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) that's like that's like really the job
0: Yeah, you've planned four shots. We need to get it in three. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Can we make sure that there's plenty in the can?
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) please. it all looks pretty nice. Yeah, but like in the interview, they all like like, oh, can we just talk about the tone of the piece?
0: (laughs) Yeah. well Hopefully, I mean, we're we're doing our bit to try and demystify that for everyone.
2: Yeah, touch wood for you guys. Yeah. We're
0: trying to get on institutions and stuff to speak to them about the pathway and things to to break that down a bit more. But yeah, you can only do what you can do. Yeah. Um. We're both very sort of like philosophical. We know it's going to happen when it happens. And it's like you were saying, it's like when you wanted to, to have your own show, now that you are where you are, you would have known that you would have fucked it up or like really struggled through the process if yeah. you got it when you wanted it. So it's like, for me, it's like, I know that when it happens is going to be the right time and it will be totally fine. And so.
2: I, I know people never want to hear that, but that is pretty true, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah.
2: That 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 sometimes people are not ready and then... You never hear from them again. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. it's either crucified them. Yeah. Or every or no one enjoyed it. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. So it's in a in a way, it's better to wait. Which I'm the last person to you know lecture about patience because I've gotten on, but um, it is a bit a bit of that. Yeah. All right. Well, lovely to meet you guys.
1: Yeah.
0: And thank you um, so much. It was nice chatting, and good luck with uh, production and finishing up. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Helen, where can people find you online? What am I on Twitter? I'm always on Twitter,
0: um, but I don't know what my thing is. Are you on Instagram as well, or is, it, is Twitter the main one?
2: Yeah, I'm not on Instagram to be honest. Um, I've got okay. I've got a website, but that's more for my books and
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: there's not much. There's not much on there. Um, it's funny that, isn't it? Because as a writer, like I was thinking that the other day, like I've got loads of stuff that will never see the light of day. Should I just like, you know turn it into a short story or something and just put it up. You know what I mean? Just just so that uh, that story has a life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so I was, but like, at least for you guys, I suppose you've got something beautiful that people will actively look at. I'm not sure if people would just r- read random stuff. But I was thinking that the other day, all this stuff that I've done that's going nowhere, should I just like release it into the wild? My agent's like, no, yeah. no. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, you should you make not. money off that in twenty That's, years for yeah. free. No. <laughs> Your Twitter is at writer h black, but we'll put that a link to that in the okay. episode description. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure for taking the time. No, um, pleasure. We'll speak to you soon.
2: See you later. Bye. Bye.
0: All right. Bye. See you later. So that concludes the episode. Next week we're going to be joined by another exciting guest I'm sure so follow socials to find out who you'll be having on and if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the directors take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you.
1: We want to ship this as a resource for you so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram which is the directors take podcast and also on Twitter which is at Directors Take. And leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from because they really do help us.
0: I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing and keep the faith.